So, here we are racing through Romans. Today we've already made it to Romans 11, and there's 16 chapters in, in uh, the book of Romans, <clears throat> um, or the letter uh, to the Roman church. And so, as we've gone through it, you know, a lot of the, uh, we'll get that, because it'll, boop. Uh, a lot of the, uh, <clears throat> you know, a lot, look, a lot of the chapters in Romans kind of are the same theme over and over from a different point of view, kind of reemphasizing the same thing. And so obviously a lot of things we talk about every week are going to be very similar um, with, you know, a slight different take. <clears throat> this week is no different. Um, you know, Paul, but let's, I'll ask you guys, who, who is the audience um, for the letter to the Roman church? <clears throat> I already gave one of them away. The Roman church. Very good, sir. <laughs> let's do this. Audience. <laughs> Roman church, and who, who is in the Roman church at this point? <clears throat> There's uh, Jews and Gentiles. Yep, very good. Jews. And Gentile means? Non-Jew. Non-Jew. Yep, very good. Jews and everyone else. Is Priscilla and Aquila back there at Rome or no? Oh, they might be. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I don't know. I don't know if they're there at this exact moment when the letter is delivered. That's a good question. Who knows? Yeah. I know. Stop. <laughs> so you finally. So you've asked something off script. So I don't know the answer. I'm joking, Lauren. I'm joking. It's a good question. Um, there's another name for Gentile that Paul uses. Do you know what that is? Uncircumcised. Yeah, you could say that's another one. <laughs> We'll take that answer. Ding, ding, ding. Uncircumcised. There's another one. <clears throat> yes. Yes, sir. Greek. What did you say? Greek. Oh, Greek. And Greek in this sense means what? what? When I say Greeks, what do I mean in the first century? Kind of. Kind of not. What, is, what, is, what does it to me, what does it mean to be Greek in the first century? <clears throat> Does it have to do with your racial profile? Does it have to do with the region you live in? Yes, it's your civilization. What it's a culture? Culture. They do. That is part of their yeah culture. Um, to be Greek in this sense means to be civilized or to be cultured or more specifically um, to follow the Greek culture. So you speak Greek <coughs> or or write it. Um, you, you participate in the culture of the Greeks, which include their religion, the gods that they, they follow, um, the activities that they, that they tend to uh, uh, participate in, like uh, athletics, the gymnasium, um, education, so on and so forth. But in general, Greek was kind of the, in a way, a bit of a racist term for the first century because it referred to people who were civilized. And if you were not Greek, Barring religion, you were either Greek or you were a barbarian. <laughs> no, seriously, you were. A, that's the Greek word, uh, barbaros. You were a barbarian, meaning you were not civilized. Okay. <clears throat> so here, this is a good. This is a good thing. What? Anyone else here in the Roman Church? More specifically, think about where the church is. Where is the church? Rome, and who is in Rome? Romans, who, yeah. 
As the capital of the empire, who would you expect to be in the capital of the empire? Caesar, yes. Okay. And Caesar would be a part of what is the kind of the class at the top? <clears throat> Emperor. Rich people. Yes. Now we're getting to it. We're getting to it. Rich. I will call it aristocracy, which kind of uh, implies a ruling class, a wealthy ruling class who are kind of above everyone else. <clears throat> Um, so I think it's important to remember all of this, but there were also everyone else. And in this case, if you're not aristocracy, what are you? Pleb. You're a pleb. And I think I spelled that right. You could say plebeians. You could say <clears throat> um, poor, working class, essentially, which in this case would be slaves. <clears throat> so you have a very wide spectrum of people that Paul is writing to. Now, here's another question for you. <clears throat> it sounds like you're getting uh, static from you space. Can uh, I can, unfortunately. I what that means. Well, I don't know. Maybe we need to just talk louder. I wonder if, <laughs> I wonder if it maybe it needs new batteries. Probably maybe. I'm sorry, sweetheart. Yeah. I'll try and talk loud for you, okay? okay? Or afterwards, you can just replay this and turn it up to 10. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. So. <clears throat> Trade of thought. Woo! Okay, let's go back. Uh, so the so who who was Paul speaking to? Now Paul is a missionary, or we also call an apostle, right? <clears throat> he claims to have had firsthand and a firsthand encounter with Jesus himself, and so we would call him an apostle. He calls himself an apostle. Who was Paul apostling to? Who was Paul's audience in his missionary? <clears throat> Yeah. <clears throat> so, in general, <clears throat> it's kind of both, right? Let's let's back up. Every time in and if you read Acts, this Acts is really good because it explains it kind of lays out how Paul went about doing what he did. When Paul would go to a new city or a new town, there would be one place he would go very first time. Who would that who would that be? Where would that be? <clears throat> Not the cathedral, the synagogue. synagogue. Yep, I think that's what you meant. Yep. The very first place Paul would go is to the synagogue, and he would go to the Jews first. <clears throat> Being the lucky guy that he was, what was generally the result of his initial encounter with the Jews of the city he would meet? <clears throat> die. Yeah, not necessarily die. Yeah, say it again, Nathan. Some listened. Some listened. <clears throat> Some. And when I say listened, what do you, or you say listened, what do you mean? <clears throat> they, heard the they heard the good news, the gospel, and then did what? They believed. Yes. So it wasn't all bad. It wasn't all bad. If some believed and some listened, then what does that imply about everyone else? <clears throat> And I don't know how else to say this, because no one kept a census in the first century of exactly how many people in the left-hand column believed and how many in the right-hand column didn't. It, it is implied <clears throat> that the majority of Jews did not believe. Now, I could be completely wrong about that. Um, it does seem as though some Jews accepted the good news, some did not. <clears throat> Many 
rejected this. And I'm going to say the good news. Now, <clears throat> what after he dealt with that, that group of people, the Jews, then he went on to who? <clears throat> yeah. Then it was on to the Gentiles. And so I think what you find as you read Romans is he is talking to both. He is talking to both. In fact, he's talking to everyone in this list here. Um, and essentially, these two groups encompass all of this. <clears throat> he's talking to Jews and to Gentiles. Now, in Romans 11, he's really, he's again talking to both. And, and this is really kind of the questions I want you to think about today as we read Romans 11. Who are God's elect, in air quotes? Another one is, what were Israel's so-called trespasses? Did they have trespasses? What were they? <clears throat> Ooh, this is a good one. What doors did those trespasses open, if any? Yeah, I'll do that. If any. <clears throat> we have another, we have symbol. You know, look, the New Testament is full of symbolism. Romans is no different. Paul refers to the olive tree quite a bit in Romans. What does that olive tree represent? And finally, Paul refers to a great mystery. What is Paul's mystery, at least in Romans 11? <clears throat> there may be many mysteries. Okay, so think about those. <clears throat> We're also going to do a few uh, Old Testament references here as we get through this because, again, as you, as you read through the book of Romans, almost every chapter in Romans references the Old Testament. Why would Paul reference the Old Testament? He showed that he was, he knew the Jew part. That, that he's a Jew. Uh-huh. Pharisee up high in the Pharisees. Yeah. Okay. So it's his street cred. He's, he's referencing for that. What else? Uh, to uh, prove that Jesus said who he mm. said who he Jesus is who he said he is. Nice. To fulfill prophecy. Uh -huh. Great. So he's showing that the Old Testament had prophecy and that Jesus, and through his ministry, was in fact who was predicted in the Old Testament. Very good. <clears throat> okay, let's go ahead and read Romans 11. <clears throat> I'll do this. Okay. Um, we want to do 11. We'll break this up a little bit here. <clears throat> <coughs> Let's do 1 to 10. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. 
And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Excellent. Who are God's elect? Or the people he foreknew? So it's the Israelites. The Israelites. Very good. It, that's exactly it. No mystery there. <coughs> time and time again, Paul will reference those he, those who God foreknew, those who were God's elect, and eklegomai in Greek means the chosen ones, those who are elected or chosen. They're the Israelites. <coughs> or the Jews. So, you know, it's important to remember too, um, terminology here, you'll get three different names of the, uh, of the group of people who are called the chosen ones. The Hebrews, the Israelites, and the Jews. Um, in some ways they're the same, in some ways they're a little bit different. By the first century, <clears throat> Israelites and Jews are essentially synonymous. I'm not going to go into how they're different. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the Jews, it's the Israelites. <clears throat> what is the remnant What does Paul mean when he says remnant here? Who is Baal? False God. Primarily big during when? When in history? Was Baal a big deal? Exactly. Exactly. Yes, the time of the kings. You're both right. <clears throat> the Israelites settle in the promised land, which is called Canaan. The Canaanites had many gods, a pantheon of gods, but their chief god of weather, of storms, of productivity and fertility of the earth and nature. The king god. If you want to kind of make a parallel with Greek history, this would be probably be Zeus. <laughs> was Baal. <clears throat> Baal. Baal was the, the, the chief god. And, and his name also means Lord. <laughs> um, Baal, in an ancient Semitic or Canaanite language, means Lord. Um, the, the Israelites would change that, those who truly believed in Yahweh, Jehovah, would change that name to Baal Zebub, which meant Lord of the what? Flies. And what do flies tend to congregate on? Dead is a nice way to say it. <coughs> say it again. Rotting corpses. Corpses. There, we got it. There was a reason the Israelites said Baal's above. It really, literally means Lord of the sh poop. <laughs> and that was on purpose. So Baal is this, this false god. He's, he's, he's coming back around here. He's making a claim. Um, Remember, during the time of the kings of Israel and Judah, Israel's greatest problem that they wrestled with was paganism, was foreigners who lived in Canaan, and there was always people living in Canaan who were not Israelites, worshipped false gods, and Baal was their chief god that they worshipped. When it got really bad, at one point, during the prophecy and, and mission of Ezekiel, 
or I'm sorry, uh, um, Elijah, <laughs> Elijah, Ezekiel, Elisha, okay. During the time of Elijah, it got so bad that <clears throat> it seemed as if there was no Jehovah worshipers left in all of Israel. It got so bad. And look, how many of us have been there where we feel like it's, you know, we're the only ones, right? We feel like we are outnumbered. There's no one left who believes in God. You think it's bad now. It's not. It's not nearly as bad as it was in Israel in about 800 BC. <clears throat> it got so bad that, that Elijah thought there was no one left. And so God said, no, there is. There is, an, there is enough of a people of my elect left that I'm going to save them. And there's about 7,000. So in this case, the remnant around 800 BC is what Roger just said, which is about 7,000 Israelites who didn't what? Didn't, didn't bow, didn't worship, didn't choose to follow Baal. And thus, God did what to them? Saved them, preserved them. He kept them safe. Now, Paul is going to make a very radical comparison. <clears throat> and again, I want you to think about who he's talking to here. He's going to bring up Elijah. He's going to bring up the worshipers of Baal or the, the non-worshippers of Baal. And then he's going to make some very startling claims. And I want you to think about how that would go over in this community. <clears throat> And while you're thinking about that, I want us to go read some of the Old Testament here. <clears throat> We're going to back up real quick. And I'm going to try and do this in the right order. Uh, let's see. Let's do the 29. <clears throat> mm, maybe I'll wait for that for just a minute. 40, 29. Okay, I'm going to wait on that, actually. I'm going to, we're going to go a little further in Romans here first. But, but just in general, <clears throat> what, what impressions, what questions do you have from Rome, this first passage in Romans? <clears throat> that we read. What's, what kind of leaps out at you here? What does he say in verse 5? So too at the present time there's a remnant chosen by what? Yeah, grace. Here we go again with grace. Here we go again with grace. And is no longer by what? If you think back to Romans 10, <clears throat> Paul makes a very, a very specific claim. He says your zealousness of following your religion, Jews, fellow Israelites, is not good enough to save you. He makes that, that statement. Um, you are very fervent in your, in your worshiping and your religion and your following of laws. But in the end, you're failing. Because why? What's, what's not happening? <clears throat> you couldn't follow the law completely. Yep. Impossible to follow the law completely. That's what they had to do. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll help you out here. 
Paul, again and again in Romans, makes this claim. You keep following, or apparently following God with your works. And here works can, can also be called the Mosaic Law, right? <clears throat> but he's saying your heart is broken. Your heart is broken. You're not following God because you trust him. You're not following him because you love him. You're doing it because you either want to show in your community that you're a good Jew, Um, or you're a good priest, or you're a good Pharisee. And a lot of this, remember, too, is Paul is a Pharisee. He is a leader among Pharisees. And so um, you might expect part of the Jewish contingent here is probably Pharisees to some degree. I don't know how common they were in Rome. They certainly would be in Judea. Um, But you can imagine the Pharisees were very concerned with following the law literally literal interpretation, follow it to the letter, don't work on the Sabbath, you know, don't ever eat with a Gentile, follow the food laws exactly, all this stuff. But but he's saying what's happening here is you've gotten it all wrong. <clears throat> Your heart's not in the right place. And now he's making this, this claim here. <clears throat> saying, God is saying, I have reserved myself 7,000 who have not bowed a knee to Baal. In this case, the people who didn't bow chose to believe in Jehovah God. Now, those people who chose to believe in Jehovah and reject Baal were probably not perfect human beings. How many perfect human beings have there been in all of human history? It's a trick question. One. Very. You guys are so good. Roger's all like, boop, one. Don't even have to look up. I already know it. It's true. How many people in this room are perfect? Of course. Aww. We'll let that go. Yeah, baby. So, at least our brother is honest. We love you, Jeremy. So here's my question for you. How many of these people who were saved in this remnant deserve to be saved? Here we go. You can do it. Ready? Boop. Was that, was that the magic mic? I turned it off. Oh. Okay. I got a message. Okay. All right. It's good. It's a perfect time to get a message. <clears throat> so I think we're getting at here. How many people in this remnant deserve to be saved through their works? This is an important one here. We're shaking our head. Zero. And you would be right. They chose to follow God. They chose to believe in Jehovah. Their works were not perfect. They did not deserve to be saved, but yet he saved them. This is an important distinction, meaning they still chose to follow Yahweh. They still chose to follow Jehovah. They weren't just people picked off of the street who were already worshiping Baal. Now, that exact kind of comparison to the first century, which for Paul is the modern era, he's going to say, there is a remnant of you, Jews, who are still going to be saved and are going to be preserved. And again, it's going to be through this word, grace, that we keep running into over and over and over again in Romans. What is grace? Unmerited favor. Wow. What does that mean? Oh my gosh. Unmerited favor. Getting 
what you don't deserve. And to the cynic, <laughs> does it imply you're getting what you don't deserve, meaning I'm a good person and I'm getting screwed here, or is it the opposite? It's the opposite. What, were you going to say that or not? Oh, I wasn't going to say that. OK. <clears throat> it, 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 implies, it implies a good thing here. Because the opposite is, I'm doing everything I should, and I'm a good person, and things are still happening to me that are bad. That's not what we're talking about here. Unmerited favor, getting what you don't deserve. Now, in a spiritual sense, what does grace imply? Eternal life. Yeah. Eternal life and <clears throat> with the Father. What does that imply? Does that imply something bad? Perfect. It's perfect. It's wonderful. It's joy. You know, the Bible says there will be no sadness, there will be no sickness, there will be no death, there will be no suffering, there will be no tears. Goodness gracious, I can't wait for that. <laughs> No more weeds? <laughs> That's awesome. I just imagine all the commercials that come on this time of year on the radio. Like, do you have, you know, Velvet Leaf, Cocklebert, right? You know, use product X. Yes, that's exactly it. Uh, no more weeds. <clears throat> grace. And he keeps using it over and over again. And if by grace, then it is no longer by what? Law. Yes. Law and works, and in this case, synonymous. If it were, what does he say? Then grace would not be what? Necessary. Yes. This is fundamental, guys and gals. This is fundamental. If you can earn your salvation, if all of this hubbub that we're doing on the outside works, do we need God anymore? No. We don't. We, we are in control of our own lives. How many religions today on earth are you, theoretically, Roger Howard or you know anyone else, in charge of your own salvation to some degree? Almost all of them, I would argue. <coughs> Name your religion that's not Christianity. <clears throat> And you will find a religion that says you have to be a, quote, good person, and then good person means a lot of different things, but essentially means you have to adhere to the religion that you are part of, and you have to follow the rules of that religion. And if you do it enough and well enough, um, and you check enough boxes on that list, there is some kind of positive outcome for you that we'll call salvation. That means many things to different people. But essentially, you're in charge. You're the captain of your own boat. How seductive is that message in today's day and age? That you're the captain of your own ship. Yeah. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. That's kind of the thing, right? Go to your next Tony Robbins seminar. Look, I'm picking on Tony Robbins. Go to your next Tony Robbins seminar. You're in charge of your success. You're in charge of your own achievement. You can make your life different, right? Well, to some degree, that's true. <clears throat> but now apply it to a religious sense. You follow the rules of our religion, and you do whatever the priest or the imam or the, uh, you know, the you know, spiritual guide tells you, and you are, you are going to be saved. In fact, there are you know, some religions, which I won't mention, in which they say, 
God of the universe, will weigh your good works and your bad works on a scale. <clears throat> Roger Howard. <laughs> I keep picking on you. Here's your scale. Here's your good works. Here's your bad. Let's just heap them up. What do you think is going to happen? Does your heart outweigh a feather? <laughs> yep. I think if, if you believe, if you truly are an intelligent creature, I think all of us would say whatever specs are in the good category would never outweigh the overflowing bad. I heard a minister say one time that uh, he wouldn't uh, he wouldn't give the, the best fifteen he wouldn't trust the best fifteen minutes of his life to get him to heaven. Nice, that's perfect, yeah. Lorna. Because we're flawed. Yeah. We're forgiven. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but we're flawed, you know. Yeah. Even the even the good works that we do do mm-hmm. are filthy rags compared to the grace. Nice. That's a great, that's it. That's, that's scripture. Yeah, exactly. Think about that. Yeah. Because what happened? this is exactly it. Let's, you know, explain that. Your best 15 minutes, your best works are filthy rags. Why? Yeah. You know, I make the analogy, right? can't do enough. And, and again, it's not just that you can't do enough, it's what was the motivation. And I, and I pick on the fact that you know people who give to charity, especially those who are wealthy um, and give to large organizations, tend to get their name put somewhere. In a book, on a plaque, on the wall, go to, the, go to a, you know, any public park in Johnston and you'll see a wall somewhere with a plaque on it with people's names on it. There's a reason for that. Why? They want the world to know what they did. They want the world to see how great of a person they were. Now, in some ways, they are also doing a very good thing. I'm not picking on that. But I'm saying what was the motivation for that. You will very rarely see the word anonymous on a plaque, in a book, on a list, on a wall, in a brick. Why? Because people want you to know that they did a good job. Now, again, I'm also picking on this to say it's good that you inspire others, and I'm, I'm not saying it's all bad, but it always gets at this. Why are you doing these works? That's the question. Are you doing it for you, or are you doing it for someone else or for God himself? This gets it when God answers your prayer. Who do you immediately worship, right? Whose glory is God's... Whose glory is it that God answered your prayer, right? Or who should get the glory for that? Yeah. But isn't it true, Lorna, that you're the captain of your ship, and... How many of us pray for something, but also do our own, maybe sometimes do our own part? How seductive is it? Yeah. There you, that's one way, right? Here, if you could just give me the following, and here's how I want you to do it. Yes. That's one way. It's not silly. It's human nature, sweetheart. That's exactly it. I'm also saying that in the end, it's seductive for us to say whatever we've asked God for and he's given us, it's easy for us to look back and say, well, you know, I did my part too. You know, well, I did work hard for that. Well, you know, I was really good and I went to church and, you know, I worked really hard for that raise, whatever it is. Again, it's easy for us to fall into the seductive cycle where we're not giving glory and honor to the one who deserves it. Okay, I'm done preaching. All right, let's, uh, let's go on.
I'm not done. Romans 11. Let's go on to verse 11 this time. And let's read to 24, 11 to 24. Stumble in order that they might fall by no means. Rather, though they trespass salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespasses means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles in in as much then as I am as an impossible to the Gentiles and magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Or if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits as holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches are broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I may be grafted in. That is true, they were broken up because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God's severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off, and you and they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is natural, is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Thank you, sweetheart. There is a lot of shocking stuff here that, let's say, you're just reading through Romans. You might, you might actually, at, at 50,000 feet, fly over some stuff here and not realize what you've just seen and read. <coughs> Tell me your reactions to this, and specifically what you get out of it. Yeah. So, uh, in class, we did Romans in class, mm-hmm. and so I actually found out what that meant. Okay, and what did you find out? Very good, sweetheart. Very good. Yeah. This is, uh, hey, I'm a plant scientist, and I love this kind of thing. Plants are amazing. Why are plants amazing? It's relatively easy to cut a piece of one plant and stick it onto another plant that, has, that is a completely different kind of plant. In fact, <coughs> um, this happens all the time. And if you go to a, a nursery, a garden nursery, or a garden center, and you buy a shrub, or mo- most likely a tree of some sort. Uh, you buy a rose bush. Odds are, you're buying something that is a chimera, or a hybrid. What do I mean by that? I mean, it probably has a different root stock than it does the top. Meaning, of course, plants have roots. <laughs> Many times, in the nursery, the garden industry, it's much easier to reproduce plants, not by seed, but by grafting. So what'll happen is, someone will take a type of plant that produces something very good, 
um, it has really good flowers or really good disease resistance or it uh, is really good for the landscape, et cetera, et cetera. Problem is to, to reproduce that product, which is often a hybrid or sometimes can't even produce seed on its own, it's impossible to reproduce through seed, um, the, the industry will take cuts of the plant that they like, they will just cut it up into pieces and guess what? They will take the rootstock of a plant that sucks <clears throat> in ways, and what do I mean by that? I mean the, the rootstock of a plant that um, conveys maybe disease resistance, <coughs> insect resistance, whatever, but the plant itself is ugly. That plant um, doesn't look good. Maybe it um, doesn't produce well on its own. It, it, it might never flower, something like that. What they'll do is they'll take the rootstock of that plant and they will just graft in the piece of the really good plant. <clears throat> they'll make a cut, they'll stick the two ends together, and wouldn't you know it, often those two will grow together like they are the same plant. Um, plants' immune systems are different than humans and, and vertebrates. Um, you can't just take Nathan's arm and cut it off and stick it on you know, a stump that Roger has. It doesn't really work very well, right? And even if it were to kind of stick there, um, odds are his body would reject it. Um, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't grow and develop. If it was, he was a child, it probably wouldn't grow and develop properly. Anyway, this is the great thing about plants. <clears throat> so here's your plant science for the day, right? <clears throat> um, get this. It turns out in olive trees, it takes years, even decades, for olive trees to produce fruit. Fruit is the olive, right? <clears throat> um, Investing in an olive grove is a huge commitment that is a generational focus. Um, if you are a middle-aged person, you decide to start an olive business and you don't have any plants, and you're planting your olive trees from seed or you get some, some small saplings, you're looking at decades <clears throat> before your business is profitable, before your trees get to the place where they're producing enough olives that you can actually make money on it. So what ends up happening is, the grafting of olives together is very common because <clears throat> you may do what I just showed you here, which is you go get some olive trees that are already producing and you graft them onto some sapling rootstock or something like that so you can, you can kind of jump ahead, right? You're gonna start getting olives much faster. Or you might have wind damage, you might have storm damage, you might have uh, your kids go climb the olive tree and it breaks in half, right? Well, the good news is, if, if most of the tree is still functioning, you can go get some other trees that maybe are not as far along, uh, not as big, whatever, and you can graft them all in. <coughs> and, and you can keep your production going. What does the olive tree represent in Romans 11? Say it again. She's saying, so I think what you're saying is, you're saying it represents faith, people who follow God. Is that what you said? Ah, so who is the original olive tree here? Jesus. Say it again. Jesus. Mm, yeah, in an abstract sense, yes. Jacob, Jacob. and Jacob, and who, and, and who are his brethren? Yeah. Who is who? Who are these people? The people of God. The Israelites. 
Yeah, exactly. The original olive tree is the Israelite nation. <clears throat> Guess what happens? According to Paul, what happens to that, <clears throat> that olive tree? Yeah, it got bigger. Uh huh. But what happened to some of the branches? Died off. Yes. They they stopped producing fruit, and and this is what happened. They they started to die. <clears throat> so this whole thing represents the Israelites, or more broadly, what I'm going to say, and it's kind of it's not controversial, but people will take it this way: the elect or chosen ones, <clears throat> meaning. This tree represents the people who God has promised salvation to through his covenants and through his grace. <clears throat> now, as it turns out, this was originally the Israelites, right? Through all of you know, the past 2,000 years, if you're Paul, the past 2,000 years, it's been the Israelites. But what happened here is what Nathan said. Part of these branches started to die. They started to wither. And they stopped producing fruit. <clears throat> What did God do when that happened? <laughs> he cut it off. He cut those branches off. Consider, therefore, kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell. <clears throat> kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you will be what? It's so, the sound is so much better. Cut off. If they do not persist in unbelief, but how do you get cut off? How do you get cut off? It's very clear in verse 23. It says it right there. You persist in what? Yes, this is key, folks. Unbelief. <clears throat> Why do these things happen? All of these things are the, are the result. The cause is what verse 23 just said. Unbelief. Unbelief. Yeah. Because if they do not continue in their unbelief, they'll be grafted in. Excellent. But God has the power to graft them in. Again. Yes. So they so, cut off already. They lost their salvation. <clears throat> and then God extended grace because they didn't even graft them back in. Now, that is absolutely true. And that's the end. That's kind of where we're leading here, which is Paul is saying, okay, Israelites, you know, you're going through a, t a trial right now. Some of you are being cut off because you don't believe, because your heart's wrong, because you're not following God with righteous love. You're following him out of zealous attempt to follow rules that can't be followed. In their place, in the place of these Israelite branches that have been cut off, who gets grafted in? This is a big one. Gentiles. Look in the mirror. Gentiles. Right? If you're a Gentile, look in the mirror. Aren't we glad? Praise the Lord. Yes. <laughs> Guess what? Now, I'm going to do different colors, and I'm going to be all weird and wild here. 
I never do different colors, Roger. This is, this is crazy. <coughs> we'll do Gentile blue here. Gentile blue. That'll be a new like pottery barn color. <coughs> You're a Gentile. You just grafted in. What If you get grafted into this olive tree, what does that imply? You belong there. And what else? You're adopted. You'll produce fruit. Woo, it was so good. Look at all this. Now we start producing fruit. The, the sum total here is what? That any branch grafted into the olive tree gets to participate in the salvation of God. Period. Be grafted it back in since it's their original as much as we you know, we grafted in. That is that I believe Lorna is the core message of Romans eleven. Don't worry, Israelites. Well, kinda worry. Kinda worry. Some of you have been cut off, and that's a good thing. But you will be eventually, if you believe, and if you come back to God, you can be grafted back in. In the meantime, salvation is for who? Everybody. Everybody who what? Believes. Believes what? Jesus is the Son of God. Boom. Jesus is the Son of God. Salvation is for anyone who believes that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, who was predicted in the Old Testament. In the meantime... This is the part, now I'm going to tell you right now, there's a reason why the Jews of the first century, even today, have such a hard time with Christianity. In a way, it's Romans 11. It's what Romans 11 is saying. And I can understand their point of view. I can understand it. You're telling me that I'm the chosen people of God, but you're cutting me off for someone who isn't the chosen people of God? That's hard for them to get. And here's the, here's the clue here. This was always part of the plan, folks. This was always part of the plan. And this is, this is I think, where the stumbling block happens. Let's read it. Let's read, knowing that this was always part of the plan. This is not a surprise. You feel like reading? You want to do... 29. Yeah, Isaiah 29, 13 to 14. Then the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned. Uh, therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelously with this people, wondrously marvelously, and the wisdom of their wise men will perish and the discernment of their discerning men will be concealed. What is that saying? What's the take home there? They're following the traditions of man other than the yeah. commandments of God. And they meaning Israelites, yep. They're not letting go of their heart, soul, strength, and mind. Boom, right there. Deuteronomy 29. Let's do that one. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his servants, and to all his land. 
Through your trials that year I saw the signs and those great wonders, but to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. This is a tough pill to swallow, that one. Moses just said what? You all literally just came out of Egypt. I just showed you, God. I just showed you all my wonders. Ten plagues. Fire, fiery pillar. Parting of the Red Sea. Manna from heaven. Water from the rock. And then, after 40 years, how many of your clothes wore out? How many of your sandals wore out? I took care of you. Caleb and Joshua, the other ones that went, that got through the 40 years and and saw the mm -hmm, promised mm -hmm, land. Mm -hmm. And very few of them, right? Yep. Very few of them actually uh, made it. What is he saying? He's saying, even after all that, you still didn't believe. You still didn't believe. You still rejected me after all that. Jesus makes a very similar claim. Look at how many people saw my miracles and still wanted me dead. I told them truth, and they hated me for it. God's response is this. Fine. Fine. After all that, after all that I've done for you, if you continue to reject me, what am I going to do for you? What am I going to do? I'm going to cloud you. I'm going to cloud your sight. I'm going to cloud your thoughts. I'm going to hide myself from you. This is, this, people have a hard time understanding this. When you choose to reject God, God can choose to hide himself from you until you change your attitude. <laughs> you know? Why did Jesus speak in parables? To shame the who. Yeah, to shame the wise. People have thought they had it all worked out, but they didn't. Because their heart wasn't in the right place. That's an excellent point, Roger. And, and in the end, he didn't go to people who were pious, who were priests, who were following, you know, people who in society you would say were following the, the Israelite law. He went to people who what? As soon as Jesus said something, what did they do? They, they believed. They followed him. Now, it wasn't easy for them. And in some cases, it was, you know, we know that it wasn't easy for them to do this. But they tried. And as soon as they believed, as soon as they believed, God opens their eyes. He blesses them. But for the Israelites, Paul is making a very controversial claim here. He's saying, he's saying, I'm going to harden your heart, Israel. I'm going to harden it so you won't see or hear or understand what I'm doing. Let's finish this out with Isaiah 40. This is, this is a big one, too. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? 
who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding. Who tells God what to do? Well, who tries? <laughs> Everyone. Who, who should be doing that? No one. Who's in charge? God. Excellent. You guys are so good. I make it easy. It's like Mad Libs, but it's easy, right? I don't know. I love this. Love it. This is exactly it, guys. This is exactly it. Who do you think you are? I am God of the universe, and I have given you so many chances. You rejected me. You weren't righteous with your hearts. You pretended to be righteous with your law following, and I cut you off. And it's going to last for a while. Let's finish out Romans 11. Um, Roger, you want to just go ahead and finish Romans for me? Thanks. 25 to 36, please. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as is written. The deliverer will come from Zion, and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards, the as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are ir irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you that also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. What is the great mystery that Paul is talking about here? What is the great mystery? The great mystery is what? <clears throat> it's in verse 25. It starts in verse 25. Israel has experienced a what? A hardening of the heart. So here's the mystery. Israel is being hardened. Ooh, that's good. We're all stiff-necked, though. <laughs> Maybe I'm Jewish. I don't know. Being hardened. And why are they being hardened? Because what? They're not producing fruit. They are rejecting God's Messiah. So, the sec yeah, they're go ahead. rejecting the Messiah, but they're also leaning on that they are Abraham's Yes. Dude, I'm good. I'm a Jew. Yeah. That's good. This is great. When you cut a branch off, it dies. Mm. Mm-hmm. So they've already stopped producing fruit and then yep. cut off and yep. 
But then that brings the question that says that they could be grafted back in. Yes. So here, let's go through step by step. So Israel, let's do this. Israel rejecting Messiah. They're being hardened. Then they're cut off. So you notice I cut almost all of the, the Hebrew branches off. What gets grafted in in their place? Now, okay, I want to keep laboring this. So we have a little, we have a little black there. <laughs> little black there, right? Ah, we have the black of the root, and this is kind of a good one too. <clears throat> the root, if you want to think about it, is Abraham and his covenant. This is the origin of the, of the people of Israel who have made a covenant, a lasting covenant with God, that God will save them and they will be his people. And it's nourishing the branches. And the branches now tend to be most of us, which are Christian Gentiles. How long is this going to go on for? Yes. And what does that mean? <laughs> That's great. Um. In, uh, in other parts of scripture, it, it refers to this will go on until all the Gentiles hear the gospel. Until the gospel is preached to all the ends of the earth. Um, yep. Preach to all. At that point, what happens? What is the final piece here? And we've been talking about it over and over. Jesus comes back for his church. Yes, that's true. What happens to the Israelites? They get grafted back in. Yep. This is big, folks. This is so big. This hardening is temporary. Now, it's not temporary in a human time scale. It's, it's temporary in geologic time, if you want to think of it that way. Um, this isn't going to be a two-month thing. In fact, we know it has been already 2,000 years that the nation of Israel has been hardened to some degree, to a large degree. And now the focus is on the Gentiles until the gospel is preached to all the ends of the earth, at which time, this is the key, Israel gets grafted back in. It will never end. Awakening? Okay. I say awakening for the Jews. We'll talk about that another day. Rapture. Rapture. Yeah. No, but it, of course, Judgment Day. You know, the end times, uh, the millennial kingdom, Jesus returns. Yeah, Nathan. So the Jews, the Jews still believe that the Messiah is to come. Yes. And so Orthodox Jews. On the day when the Messiah comes, they'll be like, oh, wait. I, I'm probably with you on that, if that's what you think. I kind of think it's going to be an aha moment like that. Like, maybe that's what you're saying. Like, they will see their king in glory. It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus of Nazareth. They'll be like, yeah, of course, right? Um, but we know that that promise gets fulfilled. That, in fact, they will get grafted back in. Okay? So, at the very end, Judgment Day... New kingdom, officially kind of fully in gear. Old earth dies away. This is, this is the final picture. And verse 26 says, 
if you think about it, this whole, this whole process is like we're in Act 2 right now, right? Act 1, you set up the story. That's the Old Testament. Act 2, the hero emerges. Things really go south for one group of people. It's the darkest days, right? If you're a Jew, we're in Act 2. Act 3 is the hero wins, the good guys are saved, and we all live happily ever after. That hasn't happened yet. We're moving to Act 3. How do we get to Act 3? <laughs> yes! What do you say? We tell people about Jesus. I'm just going to tell you right now, I don't know about you, I can't wait for the new kingdom. <laughs> I can't wait for the end. I want the end of the story. How do we get there? It's kind of, we're, we have a role to play here. Tell people the good news. Tell them. What do you guys think? No? Yes? Bunk? I hope to be saved. Yes, you're absolutely right, sweetheart. <coughs> All right, well, any final thoughts? Shocking? Yes? In verse 28, says that uh, they are still beloved. Yeah. I love this. I want to end on this note. They are still his beloved. Don't be anti-Semitic. <laughs> Please, don't be. Why? Because you, if you are a Christian, your roots are Jew, are Jewish. You're being nourished by the Jewish nation and by God's covenant with them. If you cut yourself off from them, guess what happens? <laughs> don't cut your own self off from them. Don't don't discriminate. Um, what does Semitic mean? Uh, anti like um, it means uh, being anti-Jew essentially. Anti-Jew. Yeah, anti-Semite. Yeah. Um, it's. It means from Shem. A lot of people think it indicates that you're white. But that's I haven't investigated that portion of it, but it means you're from Shem. Yes, that's the true origin of the word Semite. It means you're from the son of Noah, Shem, but it also in today's language means that you have a, a, a racism against Jews, right? So yes, it's a long story, but um, what I'm telling you here is we're, we're getting off at the very end here. Um, we, need to, we need to remember that in the end, the Jews, they, they will f participate in the fullness of salvation as is promised by the Old and the New Testament.